Hi, welcome to the 13th Warehouse, Friday the 13th TV series edition. I'm Vicki. And I'm Kim. And these are the episode credits for Friday the 13th, the series, season 1, episode 23, Badge of Honor. Series created by Frank Mancuso Jr. and Larry B. Williams. Story by Jim Henshaw and Roy Swallows. Teleplay by Roy Swallows. Directed by Michelle Manning. Original air date, July 5th, 1988. So we're back with Season 1, Episode 23, Badge of Honor. Kim is off again this week. She will be back next week. So you're stuck with just me today. So before I get started, I just wanted to say that when we began this phase of the podcast, we said we'd probably double or triple up on episodes because we didn't know how much interest there'd be in Friday the 13th since the series doesn't stream anywhere that I'm aware of. Surprisingly enough, people are listening enough people are listening that it makes sense to go one episode at a time. Now, there may be times when we double up due to scheduling or whatever, but for the most part, moving forward, we'll be doing just one episode at a time. Okay, so this week, the cursed antique from Friday the 13th Wiki is a sheriff star that violently kills anyone that it is pinned to. Which, as we'll see in this episode, that doesn't really make a lot of sense because nobody's pinning this badge on people fall on it or it's pressed into their chest but nobody's wearing this badge and nobody's pinning it on to anybody so the only warehouse connection i could find with this episode is bill lake who is the newscaster right at the beginning of the well sort of at the beginning of the episode and he appeared as dave in the warehouse episode magnetism and that was the episode where the people in whatever town they were in just acted out the old lady broke the hospital window and the other guy kept grabbing Micah, and the nun jumped from the steeple. I can't remember who Dave was, but that's the only warehouse connection I could find in this episode. Where the hell is the backup? This thing is going to fall apart. Circle, damn it, not yet! We got company! So this episode begins with a stakeout. It looks like the police are watching counterfeiters, but they're getting impatient waiting for backup. But let me just say that the white pinstripe suit and sunglasses at night was hilarious and so 80s. It was so 80s that it was ridiculous. This was like an episode of Miami Vice. Not that I watched a lot of Miami Vice in the 80s, but I watched enough to recognize it. Detective Sharko loses his patience and rushes in. He's spotted and people start shooting. As the white limo, which was not very attention-grabbing at all, (laughs) drives away, the female officer or detective, whatever she was, was shot. Backup arrives in time to stop the limo and arrest all the bad guys inside. Sharko gets suspended. He argues about his dismissal because even though they arrested everyone in the car, the leader, or boss, Victor Haas, left earlier. So as Sharko puts it, he's still out there. Come in. Give me the badge too, Russ. You're suspended. You can't dump me while Haas is still alive. You can't. Haas is not your problem anymore. You nearly sunk me and the whole squad. You had to go in first, didn't you? You had to take him out all by yourself. Damn you, Russ. You got a cop killed. Let's get the hell out of here. So Sharko packs up his stuff to return it to wherever one returns their stuff at the police station. When he puts it down on the counter, a sheriff's badge falls from somewhere, and Sharko keeps it. Later at home, he has a nightmare about his wife being blown up in the car. We see two of the guys who were at the stakeout in his dream. So I guess we can assume that the bomb was meant for him. When he wakes up, he runs to the bedroom and apologizes and cries to Gwen, who's in bed in one of those plastic tent things so we can't actually see her. But we can hear medical equipment running and pumping, so apparently she's not well, and we assume that she's in this state due to the car bomb. 
I was so close I could smell him and I missed. I'm sorry, Quinn. I'm really sorry. So next we go to a club. Fun fact that I found when I was looking for warehouse cast connections, Roby, who plays Mickey, is the voice in the song that's playing at the club. I forgot to write down the name of the song, but just fun fact. So Victor and his men are there, and so I believe Victor owns this place. The sunglasses guy and the other guy in the dream are also there. Sharko shows up, the sunglasses guy won't let him in, and throws him around, which causes Sharko to drop the sheriff badge. Sharko gets up and hits the sunglasses man with a board, which makes him fall on the badge. Landing on the badge makes him go into convulsions until he dies, and the badge appears back in Sharko's hands. Now, just now while I'm recording, you know, I said at the beginning that nobody's pinning anything on, and I think originally while I was watching this, I thought, I wondered why when somebody picked it up, like when Ryan picks it up or Mickey picks it up at the end or when Sharko picks it up, it didn't affect them. But it seems like I'm just realizing it has to touch the person's chest. So when the sunglasses guy falls on the badge, he coincidentally lands with the badge under his chest. They're still not pinning it on, but it does have to hit the person's chest, which really should have occurred to me because it makes sense. And plus, when they talk about the original owner, duh, it should have occurred to me. It didn't. So normally, it doesn't seem like it takes this long, but we were a full 10 minutes into the episode before we got a scene in the store. And maybe that's the norm and this one just seemed longer because... Honestly, I wasn't a fan of this. It seemed more like, like I said earlier, a Miami Vice episode not and not a Friday the 13th episode. There was something about it that was kind of odd to me. So anyway, we finally do make it to the store. And someone comes in looking for Mickey. You couldn't really make him out. He was in fog and light and everything. They intentionally made him look mysterious. And Ryan tells him... She isn't there, but she does come in pretty much as soon as Ryan finishes the sentence. And Mickey hugs and kisses him, and she introduces him as her friend, air quotes, Tim. He asks if he could stay there for a few days, and she agrees. So he goes out to take care of a few things, and we find that Ryan has a problem with it, and doesn't have a problem with saying so as soon as Tim is out the door. So back at Sharko's house, we see him talking to Gwen at her bedside again. There was a lot of scenes of him just going in and talking to her, so I'm not going to mention every single one. I know we don't have much time. He's telling her that he got one of the guys that blew her up. So now we know he's out to get everyone who had something to do with blowing up the car and injuring Gwen, and probably why he was so adamant about jumping in at the stakeout and not waiting for backup because he didn't want them to get away. So I imagine Haas is included in the list because he's the boss. He seems to be the crime boss, and he probably ordered the hit. So Sharko goes to meet his informant, Raul. He's looking for Haas. Raul doesn't know anything except that Haas is looking to leave town for a while until things cool down, and but he doesn't know when. Sharko is not happy with the lack of information and shoves the badge on Raul's chest. See, again, I should have figured that out. I don't know. I think I was just so uninterested in <laughs> If I wanted to watch Miami Vice, I would have watched Miami Vice. Raul convulses and falls into the river. Again, the badge appears back in Sharko's hand. So Tim is meeting with Haas at the club. Ooh. It seems like he's looking to do business with him. But Haas wants to check him out first. Back at the store, Ryan is still arguing with Mickey. Tim comes back and asks Ryan to use the phone 
Ryan hears him saying something about making the connection, and they couldn't find him if they wanted to. So Tim and Mickey forget about having tea and end up in Mickey's room. The next morning, Ryan tells Mickey about the conversation he overheard. He checks Tim's bag over Mickey's objections and finds a gun. After he finds the gun, she wants him to keep looking. So he checks further, and he finds photos of Victor Haas, who Ryan recognizes from news stories because he's a gangster, and pictures of his men. So Tim is back at the club with Haas. They're negotiating the price for Tim's counterfeit bills. Sharko shows up, and Tim hits him, and they escape. I think it's Tim that hit him. This episode was so dark, it was hard to make people out. So I might be messing up who did what. So Ryan and Mickey are in the alley because they decided they were going to follow Tim. Sharko comes out of the club looking for Haas, but he spots the other man who blew up his wife because he already killed the sunglass guy. Now this guy is the guy with long, kind of curly hair. So he's able to get him with the badge, and he dies the same way everybody else did. Mickey and Ryan watch it all happen, and they see the badge on the ground, and then they see it disappear. They don't see it show up in Sharko's hand because Sharko's already on his way out of the alley, but they do see it disappear. So Mickey and Ryan go back to the store to see if there's anything about a star. Uh, They find information about the purchaser, Herbert Cooter, who was killed in a police shootout. Sheriff Starr sold to Herbert Cooter. Now, Jack said there were some articles in the file here. Arms enthusiast Herbert Cooter, 38, of 118 Frank Road, was killed early this morning in a gun battle with police. Cooter, dressed in Western costume and claiming to be the reincarnation of Jesse James, held police at bay for more than an hour. Detective Thomas Vanderbeck successfully entered the house and fired the fatal shots. Cooter is believed responsible for a series of bizarre murders in which the cause of death could not be clearly established and victims were marked with star-shaped brands. They find that Cooter was, uh, he was suspected of killing multiple people, leaving star-shaped brands on their bodies. He also believed he was the reincarnation of Jesse James. And this detective that they mention, who arrested him, is Sharko's partner, who I never remember his name and I've already forgotten. Tim comes back and interrupts their research. Mickey confronts him about the club. He says he can't get them involved. Mickey throws him out. Tim calls Haas and continues negotiating to sell him the bills. They agree on a price and agree to meet the next morning at 4 a.m. So Ryan and Mickey go to the police station to talk to Sharko's partner, who I'm calling partner because, as I said, I don't remember his name. They ask about the badge, and the partner seems surprised and asks how they would know about that. They describe Sharko and tell him they saw him do it with it. His partner seems to know that the man they described is Sharko. Mickey and Ryan don't believe he doesn't know what they're talking about, and so they follow him to Sharko's house. He confronts Sharko about a few bodies that have been found recently with a star brand. He knows Sharko is killing people and tells him there were witnesses at the last scene. A couple kids came into my office tonight, Russ. Asked me about a badge. What badge? That's what I said. Then I got to thinking, remember that serial killing a couple years ago? Herbert Cooter, the guy that thought he was Jesse James. We found a body outside of Haas's club the other night. He had a burn mark, shaped like a sheriff's badge, right about here. Really? Yeah, just like the Cooter case. And your old friend, Raul, showed up in the river last night. Same mark, pretty interesting, huh? Must have been a virus or something, huh? And another one turned up tonight. Same thing, that burn mark. Look, Tommy, I ain't got time for chit Except there were witnesses. Witnesses? <laughs> then you'll have no trouble nailing it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. 
Space, the final frontier, or is it? Discover the podcast of a couple of moms who love Star Trek and happen to have kids on the autism spectrum. Join Vicki and Elizabeth as we explore strange new worlds, Star Trek Discovery, autism, and whatever else comes to mind. We're Moms Going Boldly, and you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. Hey, Dud Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka. You can listen at EurekaRewatch.com on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So Sharko gives his villain speech. What do you want to do? Huh? Who gets hurt? What kind of slime are we talking about? Some goons that get off breaking guys' legs? Dope dealers? Pimps? Numbers? What? Who's to say we're not a community service? It doesn't matter who's doing it. Killing is killing. Russ, I understand. You got cause to hate House for what he did to Gwen. It's a long time ago. I want you to come downtown with me. And his partner wants to take him downtown. But Sharko gets him with the badge because his partner takes forever getting his gun or hand, or handcuffs. I'm not sure what he was going for. Out. So he's seizing all the way down the hall as Mickey and Ryan are climbing in the window. He seizes through the whole house pretty much and lands in Gwen's room and falls on the bed, knocking down the plastic tent around her. And we see that Gwen has been dead for a very long time. Mickey and Ryan hide and Sharko leaves with the badge and goes back to the club to find Haas. He's told that Haas is at the docks, which is where he's meeting Tim. So now I'm going to assume that his wife survived the bomb and maybe was in the hospital and, you know, was going to live in kind of like a vegetative state and was taken home and then later died at home. Because his partner says because of what happened to Gwen and not because Gwen was killed. So that's what I'm going to imagine, unless she died and was buried and he stole the body or something. But I, I'm going to imagine that she died at some point and he just couldn't accept that and left her as if she was alive. So Sharko heads for the docks with Mickey and Ryan following. Tim shows up with some guy who is jumped and killed by Sharko. Unaware of this, Tim walks down the docks to where Haas is waiting alone because he sent his two bodyguards off to check out some noise, which I think was Sharko jumping whoever the guy was. And at first I thought it was Tim because it was so dark I couldn't see who anybody was. But I think it was just whoever the guy was with him. So Ryan is just glowing in the dark with his Miami Vice white suit. And of course, if glowing in the dark isn't enough, he climbs some pallets that come crashing down, causing Haas to shoot Tim as he's yelling, FBI freeze. So Mickey jumps in front of the second shot because Haas is going to shoot him again. And she gets hit in the shoulder. So Haas sees Sharko and shoots him. But Sharko is able to use the badge on Haas before he dies. And Haas dies too. So everybody's dead except for Ryan and Mickey. So Mickey and Ryan are able to retrieve the badge. Back at the store, Ryan admits to being jealous of Tim, who they now know was an FBI agent. And that's all I have. I skipped over a few scenes entirely because they just seemed to be fillers and didn't do much for the story. You know, the whole scene with uh, Haas yelling at his staff. Uh, there was That was pointless. That was just a time killer. 
So, like I said, the episode was watchable. It wasn't horrible. It seemed more like Miami Vice. It was it was like they were just trying to do a Miami Vice episode. And also, this didn't seem to be a case where someone was affected by the antique. This Sharko guy had nothing on his mind but getting back at the men who killed his wife. I understand that. But, you know, he didn't care that the detective was killed. He didn't care that he put his whole team in jeopardy by rushing the stakeout. And I think with or without the badge, his goal was to kill all these people. So the badge just helped him do that. But I don't, I feel like he was the same person before he had the badge and after he had the badge. He just had a weapon other than a gun to kill people. But I think his his goal from the beginning, from when we first meet him before he even found the badge, was to kill all of these people. So it was a kind of a weird episode for me. Um, maybe you think different, but it's kind of a weird episode because it wasn't like he was affected by the antique. He was the same person, I feel like. So that's all I have. Well, it's worth a watch, definitely. So we'll be back next week. Kim will be back next week with me. So we'll see you then. Bye. This is Doug reminding you to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash 13th Warehouse, on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse, and on Instagram at Eureka underscore Warehouse. You can listen to The 13th Warehouse on our website, the13thwarehouse.com on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Theme music for the 13th Warehouse, Friday the 13th, the series edition, Suspense Night, provided by Anton Kornienko, Pixabay user 147-98912, free for personal or commercial use. See you next time at the warehouse.